Um, before I get to the scriptures, though, I just wanted to say um, just a huge thank you uh, for the gift of the sabbatical that I just returned from. So if you're new to the church, I've been off for three months, and it was absolutely wonderful. Like, I feel refreshed and restored and tremendously grateful for that gift. Um, I'm very grateful for the staff who filled in for me. Um, very grateful for the evening service leadership team who really stepped up during this time. And I could go on and on about this time, but uh, we sp I'm supposed to be not speaking for very long now. So I must go on. Here we go. On with the sermon. Hebrews 11. So the passage is about faith, right? So in this chapter, it repeatedly says, by faith. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, Noah. By faith, Enoch did this, etc., etc. But what does that mean? Like, what, what, is it, what, is it actually, what is it actually saying when it says that? Is it just saying that these people were like super positive Christians? You know, is it just saying that they're natural risk takers? Were they just innately braver than other people around? So the question is, what, what is faith? And I think faith is probably one of the most misunderstood concepts amongst non-Christians and Christians today. So let's talk about what faith actually is. And I want to define it sort of negatively and positively. So what I mean by negative is that I want to talk about what faith is not. And then we'll get to the passage and define it more positively. Because I think there's a few things that we think faith is, but it actually isn't. So the first wrong-headed idea about faith is this. Faith is a leap in the dark. Faith is a leap in the dark. Now, that's actually, that's actually how atheists understand faith. Richard Dawkins says faith is blind. He said in a recent interview that we only need to use the word faith when there isn't any evidence. But that's not the biblical definition of faith. The Bible doesn't present faith as irrational. It's presented as reasonable. So where do we see that in the passage? Look at verse 11. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She considered him faithful who had promised. So she was old, but she got pregnant. God said it would happen. She believed God. Why did she believe God? How did that happen? Was it magic? No, it says she considered him faithful who had made the promise. She used her brain and she realized, I can trust what God says. So this wasn't like some blind leap in the dark. Faith is a carefully considered posture of trusting the promises of the promiser. Faith says we know God and we know he delivers on his promises. So faith is not like, you know, tying your brain in knots doing mental gymnastics, trying to make yourself believe unlikely things. Faith doesn't turn off your brain. Faith doesn't ignore logic. Faith is trusting in a person. It's trusting God. And it's always reasonable, and it's always rational to trust the trustworthy. When my kids were younger and, and lighter, you know, I could throw them up in the air and catch them. And, and, you know, whilst on the air, they, they wouldn't be freaking out, going, oh my goodness, this is so dangerous. Like, what are you doing? I'm going to call social services, you know. Like, they were just, they were just happy. They were happy. By faith, they, they believed everything would be okay. They trusted that I could catch them. 
it was reasonable, that was a reasonable trust. So it was reasonable for them to reach up to me when I reached down to throw them up in the air. So my point again, faith is reasonable. It's not, as some would have us believe, anti-intellectual. Faith, faith connects, the Bible connects faith to our minds. Verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. See here, faith is an activity of the mind. Now it's more than that, but here it's focusing on that particular aspect of faith. Look at verse eight. Abraham was called out by God to go somewhere. He didn't know where he was going. He knew it was a foreign place. But he packed up and he went. He said yes to God. Was this an irrational act? It sounds a bit crazy, but no. It's just, it was a rational response to a God he trusted. God made a promise to him and Sarah, and he trusted that promise. You see, faith is, faith is not something that some people have magically and other people don't. Faith is not a thing that some are born with and others are not. It's, it's a human response to God speaking to us. God says something and we say, I trust you. That, that's faith. So in this sense, faith is only as good as its object. It's only as good as the thing you're trusting in. So, so let's say I go ice skating on a lake and the ice is really thin but I have lots of faith in that ice. What's going to happen? Right, I'm going to die, right? I'm gonna die. But if I go ice skating on a lake that has really thick ice, but I just have a small amount of faith in that ice, I'm gonna survive, I'm gonna be okay. So it's not so much how big your faith is even, it's, it's what your faith is in, the object. So faith is only as good as its object. So whether your faith is big or small, it's in the invisible God who created the universe and loved you so much that he would rather die on a cross than be without you. This is a God we can trust. So again, summary, right? Faith is rational because it's always rational to trust a trustworthy God, a God who has made certain incredible promises, which brings us to another misunderstanding about faith. The misbelief is if I just believe enough, anything can happen. If I, if I can just like, if I could just knuckle down and really believe enough, anything can happen. No, that is not faith. That is faith in faith. It's not faith in God. Faith is not magic. We can't wave it around. We can't sprinkle it on our problems and expect them to go away. Faith is humble. It doesn't demand or dictate to God. Faith is not some master key that unlocks the door to all your problems. God doesn't promise that we'll all get health and children and a great career. You can't expect those things to go really well in your life just because you'll have enough faith. And that's why it's really important to know exactly what God has promised and what he has not. So in this passage, one of the great promises that's brought to bear is in chapter 11 is this land of promise that was promised to Abraham and Sarah and their descendants. And for us, it's a picture of a heavenly home that we will all inherit. And we can have faith that God will bring about his promise because God said it. We can have faith in that promise that because of Christ, we will be with God for eternity in a remade world where there'll be no more tears, no more death, no more abuse. So faith is our response to what God has promised. We can't just write our own ticket use faith to get what we want. 
You know, we just look at the evidence. Lots of people have had faith over the centuries, and some of them have lived these amazingly blessed and well-funded, created lives, and others have been sawn in half. So, faith is not irrational. It's not a tool you use to get what you want in life. It's a reasonable response to a trustworthy God who makes promises that we can read about. Now, to wrap up our definition of faith, let's look at the beginning of verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What does that mean? This word assurance has a wide range of meanings. It's, it's, as you'd expect, it means confidence. Faith is confidence in what God has promised about the future. But there's another aspect to this word. I read some scholarship this week. It talked about that it can, it can also mean, assurance can also mean expression. So faith is an expression of our confidence, a tangible expression. Faith is a lived out expression. So faith is not just, it doesn't remain just a mental picture, a mental posture of trust. It's not just academic. It changes how we live. Let me give you an example. Let's say um, you've got a good friend from out of town who texts you and says, hey, I'm going to come and visit. I'll be there Thursday at eight o'clock. Now, let's say this friend is somebody who's, you know, like, say, like they're Swiss or something. Like They're really like particular about time and and, and so you know when they say they'll be there Thursday at 8 o'clock, they will be there Thursday at 8 o'clock. Now, not only do you have faith in the promise that they'll be there, but that belief produces tangible acts in your life right now. You know they're coming, so you will go into your bathroom and you will scrub the grout in the tiles in the shower for the first time in a few months, Right? And you will go into your fridge and throw away that dodgy curry that's been sitting there for a few weeks. Like faith in this unseen future, it actually changes how we live now. So what you believe about the future produces substantive acts now. That's what faith does. That's what real faith looks like. Faith doesn't stay in our brain. It's a call to action. It's lived out. And chapter 11, if you summarize, that is a definition of faith and a whole series of examples that, of people living out their faith. So let's wind this up. Verse 1 again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith is apprehending this future, this unseen reality, and seeing it work out in your life right now. Now, both these spheres of unseen and future, they're like, we don't like them. They're uncomfortable for us. We tend to like present, not future, we tend to like seen, not unseen. Now, I can see my bank account today. I can see my career right now. All good things. Nothing wrong with those things. But, but if that's all you've got going in your life, that'll be what you live for. You'll just keep investing in that. And that'll be what shapes you and animates you and motivates you. And your life will just be a shadow of what the world has to offer. But if you take the word of God seriously and you let it change your life, the world may think you're crazy, right, for choosing to earn less in order to do sort of christian work perhaps, or choosing not to follow the sexual ethics of the world, or choosing to spend time with people who are very different to you, but they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you take the Word of God seriously, trust in it, and you let it change and shape your life right now, I promise you'll never look back and say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. Because trusting in God is the most rational thing in the world you can do. 
Now, if you're the kind of person who likes to go away with uh, a sort of particular question to think about after a sermon, let me give you a summary question to do that. The question is this. This is the question I think the passage asks of us. The question is this. Is my life being shaped by the promises of God? Is my life being shaped by the promises of God? You might have listened to the sermon and you've said to yourself, oh man, you're right, I just need more faith. I just need more faith. I hope you don't hear me saying to you tonight, have more faith. Just be more faithful. You know, when preachers do that, it's, it's cruel. I think it is cruel to do that. Because you don't get faith by just somebody standing up here and saying, have more faith. You receive it as you submit your life to the promises of God. It's a gift. So go away. Consider the promises of God. The ones that may have particular relevance for what's happening for you in your life right now. And say, I want to submit my life to these promises. I want these promises to motivate me, to animate and energize my decisions. Do that, and faith will come. Amen.